Welcome to Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill, and I'll be leading you on this adventure. We'll be getting into deep discussions about classic records, profiles on up-and-coming bands, and interviews with your favorite artists. You can check out new episodes every week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Cradle of Filth is uh, going on tour again in a few weeks. Is that correct? Yeah, it's correct. It's, uh, yeah, two weeks. Yeah. Now, uh, this is uh, continuing the tour for uh, 2017's uh, Cryptor- Cryptoriana. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, that portion of the tour uh, of the American leg uh, was actually sandwiched between. Um, European leg and South America as part of a larger tour, um, like a world tour. So this is why we're coming back, fulfilling our duties to the American public by playing all the places that we didn't play last time. So you guys are known for uh, pretty elaborate uh, stage sets and um, you know that sort of thing. Is there anything it'll, new? It'll be more elaborate this time. Really? Because, uh, well, we've had time to plan. We've got three days in L.A., um, a rehearsal studio to bring all our bigger lights in and our new cool gimmicks on stage. You know, we've got these weird, like, projectile cannon things that spray out that, that you can use anywhere as, as opposed to fire. And um, yeah, yeah, just, just just cool stuff going on new costumes, new stage props. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's one, one step up from the last tour. That's awesome. Cradle of Filth started like way back in 91, which is uh, within a couple of years of, uh, you know, that the second wave of black metal that is primarily known for, uh, you know, the Norwegian bands. And um, so, you know, you're being from the UK, like back then there was no very limited, actually no social media, virtually no Internet. And it was all just magazines and letter writing and things like that. So were you were you influenced by any of those early bands? Absolutely. We were in contact with the majority of them. If we weren't playing with them, we are friends with Impaled Nazarene, Immortal, Rotten Christ, Moonspell, Necromantia, Marduk, Emperor. Um, 
emperor dissection yeah dissection supported us yeah we we were in the thick of it um mainly because as you mentioned there was no social media at that point in fact unless you would like don johnson nobody really had a mobile phone either yeah so so it was all about tape trading letter writing you know calling people from phone boxes you know public boxes really um or or, or, you know obviously your home phone or whatever but expensive bringing foreign countries but yeah there was a good um underground scene mainly courtesy of, of labels like P- peaceville and earache uh but mainly uh osmos and early nuclear blast as well um so yeah 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 we, we, we were in contact with most of those well all of those bands i've, I've mentioned beforehand uh, and mayhem as well um and in fact burzum's record label was actually the woman came down who ran the label diamanda came down to visit me for an interview for Krang once and fell in love with, with the village in which i lived which is very historical um and so she moved her record company there as well so yeah pretty much knew everybody yeah i've always been fascinated by uh just the i mean I'm a, I'm a bit older as well and you know i've been around since you know the 80s and whatnot but i i'm always fascinated how different different countries somehow like you know there's a scene and even without all the technology that we have today that people still manage to just for the love of the music and the love of the art form still manage to, to sort of come together and, you know, have like similarities and they, they sort of feed off of each other in that way. Yeah. Well, I, I actually think, uh, I prefer it like that. Yeah. That's, that, that's the way it should be. Um, people appreciate music people when it's not so immediate, you know, if you, if you haven't got the ability to download 30 albums one after the other, but you go out, spend whole afternoon shopping and you come back with one album that you really yeah you know what i'm going to take a punt on this you whether it's good or not you know or you did you know you you spend a lot of time listening to that record and getting familiar with it i still do it like and mainly because i'm quite lazy if it goes in the in the car in the stereo it rarely comes out if it's a good album (laughs) (laughs) so you know like at the moment i've got craft's album um uh, white noise black metal which no, came out that's last a great time. great record it's Excellent. phenomenal and i know it i literally know it off by heart because it's been in my house uh, in my car stereo now since mid-october <laughs> yeah <laughs> on and off with, uh, apart from my uh learning spanish cd learning spanish yeah interesting i was thinking about learning spanish as well uh, you know living in new york that's like almost the uh you know the that's that's a very common language over here yeah, so, well, and Italian. And Italian, New, yeah. New York. <laughs> well, I, I know a bit of Italian, so that's already covered. But um, So one of the other things that I found interesting, I find interesting about Cradle of Filth is though, yes, you're a black metal band, there's like that sort of atmosphere as well. But as, your, as the career went on, I noticed, uh, you know, and this might just be me projecting, but stuff like Fields of the Nephilim and, you know, maybe Bauhaus and this sort of gothic element sort of creeping its way in, you know, with primarily with, you know, more, more of the, the mid-period onward records. Uh, you know, so it's a lot of that stuff, you know, sort of informing you as well. Yeah, well, I guess so. I mean, we've always been influenced by uh, a, a range of bands, um, the sort of London Batcave, late 70s, early 80s, goth scene, soundtracks, very important, yeah. Um, yeah, black metal, death metal, traditional heavy metal thrash. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think as, as 
a career meanders throughout, let's say, 12 albums, for argument's sake. Probably more, maybe less. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember. Um, yeah as, as your career meanders throughout the albums, those albums, of course, you're going to change and then come back to a sound that people are familiar with and then move into different directions. That's the fun of it. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's what a band does. You don't expect bands to be releasing the same album over and over again. That does happen, though, sometimes, unfortunately. Well, it, it happens with a lot of bands, to be honest, but you, yeah. you, you, that's what you attempt to do. There's um, an ideology associated with, uh, with black metal, you know, be it Satanism or paganism or, you know, something along those lines. Um, and I know that you had a, a book, that, The Gospel of Filth, which, you know, was uh, self, you described it as, uh, you know, what a, a, a sort of literary occult sort of document. Is, do you have an occult practice or is that something you're interested in? I used to be, re I mean, yes, I am totally in it, into it as much as I used to be. I grew up, as aforementioned, in a very um, cool part of the country. It's called the Witch County. Uh, I used to live in a house that was once frequented by the Witchfinder General. Not mm -hmm. the Vincent Price one from the movie, but the original <laughs> Um So it's always been part and parcel of my life. I think that's what steered me in the direction of horror movies and believe it all not metal and i've spoken about this and i've written about it a lot about the conjunction of horror and and and, and metal and and the whole gothic ideology um but uh bef when i was younger and had more time on my hands and less commitment i used to practice it a lot more you know i used to be well involved with it uh it's going meet people and discuss it and do all kinds of weird rituals and other traveling to do it. Now, the ritual most that I do is, is the fact of actually making tours and making this shit happen and performing. I still collect, I collect more occult paraphernalia than I've ever done before because obviously I've got the, you know, the, the finance now to do that sure. sort of thing. And my house is a little bit like a, uh, like the Adams family, but a bit more like a museum of, of the Adams family's house. So, yeah, yeah, I'm totally into it. It's just there's only so many hours of the day. I love reading about it. I love um, going. What I'm really into at the moment is uh, is trying not to watch. I'm a massive movie buff. Trying not to watch TV or as little as possible. Trying to do more exploring. Um, me and my girlfriends have been going out and like we did lots of different places last year recently just come back from india and spain since since christmas so yeah i'm just going through that part of my life where you know trying to be a bit of an adventurer probably midlife crisis you know the porsche <laughs> <laughs> the, the porsche yeah but you know magic though like sort of a magical practice not so much like pulling a rabbit out of a hat but you know just meditating no no i think i think life and what you do with it and is, is a form of ritual and mag magical process, especially the creation of music and the dissemination of the ideology behind and in between the music. I think that's magic in itself. I mean, if you go by any of the philosophies, then that indeed is making more movements in the universe than, than a lot of people maybe sitting around a cauldron on the Brocken, you know, on Volpurgis Eve or something. Yeah, it's, I agree with that. I mean, even if you think about it, you know, just there is a certain alchemical feel to creating music. You have like nothing, this void, and then you collect your ideas. And then all of that 
you know, over time gets refined into, uh, a, you know, music or some sort of art. And that people oftentimes overlook the sort of alchemical nature of art in general. But yeah, I think that you guys definitely sort of express that. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, in your book, in the Gospel of Filth, you have Clive Barker. Are you a personal friend of his? I'm a huge fan of Clive Barker, his work. Um, well, not that much of a friend, but he didn't actually supply the foreword we wanted. He was going to do the foreword and then just didn't. So um, uh, our good friend, Doug Bradley, who is a very good friend of um, Clive Barker as well. Obviously, Doug Bradley, Pinhead, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, now The Undertaker, or the, is he The Undertaker, or The the Preacher, sorry, for, for Blackcraft Wrestling. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, obviously, he's been, a, uh, you know, a stalwart of uh, the Cradle of Filth Empire as well. I mean, he's been on several records, and I'm really hoping to work with him again because I just think that his voice goes so well with what we do, and it's become synonymous with with Cradle of Filth. You know, people recognise his participation. I think he's now been on four records. You yeah. Know? Yep. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. I should know, but I don't. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> Those details that uh, sometimes escape as time yeah, goes by. Yeah, 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 that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that book was a real labour of love. And there's so many people that were interviewed for that that are so cool um, and so relevant to both the horror genre, the, well, I say both, I say the horror, the occult, the rock, the artist, uh, the underground, the fetish, you know, everything that book encapsulates. I think we got it with the people that were interviewed for it. Speaking of voices, uh, In- Ingrid Pitt appears on uh, you know a-, a name that probably only true fans of horror and specifically the ha- Hammer horror films would know. Um, she appears on one of your records too. Yeah, Cruelty and the Beast. Yeah. Um, the-, the idea behind that was the fact that the album um, concerns itself. It's a full story based around Elizabeth Bathory, the Hungarian blood countess. And Ingrid actually played the character of Elizabeth Bathory uh, in the film Countess Dracula. Right. Um, and so we have her as the voice of the Countess um, as she gets slightly older, uh, towards the end when she's, you know, assailed of her crimes and imprisoned in a tower and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, and it, it's, it's awesome. I mean, we've just literally remixed that entire album from the original uh tape so the tapes had to be found secured baked to bring them back to life again and that process had then had to be transferred to digital right um and that's coming out quite soon via stony oh wow but but while we were obviously remixing it which was such a lengthy process um it sounds fantastic now i mean absolutely fantastic but we were just commenting on how great and how theatrical and the Ingrid, Ingrid's pies. There's a big culmination uh, in the Trap Bathory area where she kind of recites this huge sort of um, finale. Um, and uh, yeah, it, we were just listening to her and just thinking how great it was. And I remember when she came to the studio to undertake that and then she was slightly nervous as well because obviously everybody was there to watch her. Yeah. Um, she just nailed it, absolutely nailed it. And it when you listen to it on the record, it's so freeform. It sounds, oh, they must have planned this. It just worked perfectly. And you could just tell that she was, you know, this 
great actress uh, and with a real commanding, you know, presence. Do you uh, have any favorite uh, of those uh, Hammer horror films? I mean, you, that that seems to be coming up quite a bit in uh, in some of the work that you've been doing. Do you have any favorites? Um, well, obviously, I love the uh, everything that involved Christopher Lee, especially like the seven um, Dracula movies he was involved in. Uh, they're all great. I mean, Satanic Rites of Dracula is a little bit silly, as does... Uh, uh, Dracula AD nineteen seventy three, where Hammer actually missed the whole sort of um, craze that was going on in London at the time with the kids and that by a good like three years or whatever. So <laughs> we're totally out of favour, really. But yeah, I love all those. And there's some of the obviously the Peter Cushing standalone films are great, like She, uh, The Beast Must Die. Actually, that was Amicus, I believe. So ignore ignore that. Yeah, loads of Countess tracks is obviously fantastic. And all the stuff, the vampire stuff, I love. Vampire Lovers, uh, Captain Kronos. Oh, um, yeah, Captain Kronos is, a, I think, I a classic. Think that's a hammer it's not a Hammer game. film. Yeah, it's not, but it's a great, great but, film. Yeah. yeah, I always thought that should be remade. I could see that, for sure. Um, probably one of my favorites is The Curse of the Werewolf, with the uh, feature. Oh, with Oliver that's like I think one of his first roles. I think is Oliver Reed is in that film. Mm. Great movie. Yeah, sort of an interesting take on the werewolf. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever um, thought about uh, getting into filmmaking, similar to like you know like Rob Zombie makes movies and all that? Is that something you're ever interested in doing? Uh, well, we did the film Cradle of Fear. Okay, I wasn't um, aware of that. Oh, yeah, no, the movie came out in the year 2000. It was the most successful for a while uh, uh, underground British film because it was like it, for the amount of money it made. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was like a, very much like an amicus film, like a portmanteau where you have uh, an overriding story, but then four stories or five stories, small stories that are all related in between and you have a culmination at the end. Um, and I've just done a, a part in a film called, well, I've done some various bits and bobs over the years, but not, you know, nothing prolific, uh, but in a film called Baphomet, oh. which is coming out this year, um, where I play uh, an occult uh, lecturer. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm only in it for about tops three minutes, but uh, it, yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, whenever... The, always have a hand in the artwork and the supervising of video ideas and stuff. So I guess that sort of thing's the next thing, but it's when the opportunity arises at the moment, just busy beyond belief. Sure. With the tour and all this other stuff coming up. Definitely. Well, I only just got back recently, not only from my travels, but last oh. night we did a, my other band Devilman played a show at the hard rock hell in, in, in Birmingham, the O2 uh, so we didn't get back actually till about five o'clock this morning. Oh, wow. Probably I was, why uh, I'm not so live, you know, alive as I normally am. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you about Devil Mint. So how, how did you get involved in that? Cause that, that's, I mean, you cradle of filth is definitely, especially when you're in these touring cycles, you're gone for like, you know, years sometimes, you know, and so taking on vocal duties in a band like Devil Mint, like how'd that sort of come around? Well, contrary to, popular belief that I joined the band I actually uh formed the band oh, okay. uh with, with someone else it was a local thing and, and Cradle were going through some downtime and I just got talked into it 
um, over a few drinks. And then it just sort of turned from a, a just a, an interest to a hobby to, wow, let's do this. And then a band. And then, then it came into direct conflict to a cradle. And our previous man, we had like an interim manager. We've got a new manager now, uh, which is Des. Well, Des and his wife, Anastasia, of the Oracle Management. Oh, he actually is a sing for Devil Driver. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, and yep. things going fantastically, fantastically underneath him. But prior to that, we had a manager for 20 years, Faye Wolven, who basically brought the band up to where, where it was. But in the interim, we had this other guy. Not great. Um, not great at all. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I forgot the. I'm sorry, just the, just thinking about him has really actually put me off. <laughs> what we were talking about? What were we talking about? What was? Oh, we're talking about Devilment and how that sort of started. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, he, <laughs> he put play to that. He didn't want that uh, coming between Cradle and uh, and you know me. So um, that was kind of dealt a, a, a bludgeoning death. And subsequently, the second Devilment album, which is fantastic and way better than the first. Um, just didn't get the, the attention it deserved because we're on the same label and the la you know the label had to kind of nullify it in order for it not to step on the supposed toes this manager imagined. So um, so yeah, I mean now it's really on a hiatus. I mean the government are halfway through writing another album, but have been for like the last five months because Cradle have been just so so fucking busy. Right, right. Now for for you know. Providing lyrics and the front man sort of presence for two bands, like how do you express, like what's the difference in the way that you express yourself between Doublemint and Cradle of Filth? Well, Cradle of Filth, uh, I would liken to like a poet like Edgar Allan Poe, some, someone with classical sensibilities, whereas Doublemint would be more Tim Burton or Sylvia Plath, something with a little sort of more of a modernistic approach to it. That's how, that's how I view it. Okay, it probably makes sense to anybody else, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I tried. You know, even in this conversation, as well as like in you know some of the stuff I've read, um, you know, your lyrics and other interviews you've done, uh, there's a, a strong sense of dark literature in in all of your output. So, how what fascinated you to the darker side of art and literature and music originally? Because um. You know, the world that we all operate in, we, we all have like, oh, yeah, we're into like, you know, um, Edgar Allan Poe and all this, you know, H.P. Lovecraft. But that's not that's a, a relatively fringe slice of society. And so how did you get involved or what was your initial interests in like the darker side of things? Well, like I said, living living in a locality where I grew up, village, middle of, well, uh, England, I would say not middle of England, it's actually to the on the east coast of England. It's known as the Witch County, right. Haunted East Anglia. Just atmosphere pervades your bones in this sort of part of the world. From that, as it, you know, watching black and white horror movies, uh, studying English literature, that was just my chosen thing. It was always slightly morbid, led me into heavy metal. I think the two has uh, a very strong uh, connection, a very strong marriage. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that just opened up all kinds of vistas. So maybe some of the earlier music you might have gotten into might have been like, you know, like uh, some Merciful Fate and sort of uh, macabre Absolutely. stuff like that. Merciful Fate were literally one of the very, very first bands I heard. Yeah. yeah I, could, I mean, uh, I could see the similarities, it, it was definitely. Still one of the best albums 
I think I own is Don't Break the Oath. Yeah, it's a great classic record, you know. Yeah, I, I wish Metallica would think so. They always, seem, <laughs> they always seem to bang on about Melissa, but I think uh, Don't Break the Oath's so much more superior. Perhaps they can't play it. <laughs> Maybe that, that could probably be it, actually. Did you um, act formally study, um, you know, literature? Is that part of your background, your educational background? Yeah. Yeah, it was. But I didn't go to university because when most people take a bridge gap, you know, like a year's gap and they go traveling and that, um, I decided to pursue the band and give it a year and, you know, really work it. And in that time, we did like three demos and a Jettisoned album and played with God knows how many bands and how many thousands of you know postal contacts i made um by the end of the year we were you know we were well on our way to being a professional band so higher education never happened and and indeed me never having a proper job never happened either oh, that's, <laughs> to, that's that's a very fortunate thing <laughs> <laughs> well it, it won't be fortunate if it suddenly all ends tomorrow <laughs> um so fodder so when it comes to recording, because I mean, you guys have several, I mean, I don't know, like 10, let's say one, two, three, let's say, let's say for argument's sake, 12 records, 12 full length albums out. Do you actually enjoy the recording process or is it painful? You know, it's a conflicting story I hear from a lot of different people well, about recording. It's, 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 it's conflicting because um, it's painful because it's, it's, you know, it's soul draining at times, but no, it, I actually prefer, I love creating stuff and I love being in the studio. I love having the time in the studio. I don't like being rushed on anything in life, nothing. Um, so I like to just have a good time in the studio, have plenty of time to experiment and, you know, just just do the best and, and have it like a, a, a an experience. Um, no, I, I absolutely love being in the studio. I mean, yeah, obviously after two days of just listening to, uh, you know, Tom's being... Uh, re-EQ'd, you know, then that you actually do lose the will to live. But the rest of it, yeah, I, I love it. The mixing process is fantastic. Yeah, Once I... all the hard work's been done, then you've just got to sit back and paint the picture. And um, yeah, that's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, especially, I mean, being a singer is like such a personal way of, I mean, when you're playing guitar or drums, it's, that's the sound. But the voice is like such an expressive instrument. And, uh, you know, even attacking, you know, hitting certain lines, I think that there's a multitude of different ways you can hit that and express different emotions by saying the same thing, just using your voice differently. And that's that's why I imagine, like, you know, being in the studio, you definitely would need ample time as a singer to get your point across. Yeah, well, yeah, sometimes you don't need that at all, but you don't, you don't want to be, you're supposed to relax, you know? The best work comes from being relaxed. And you'd be angry and relaxed. I know that sounds like uh, uh, a bit of a juxtaposition, um, but you can be. You're just going to be in the zone. Uh, and I like being in the zone. I like being with people that are comfortable, like being in the environment. The best studios you've ever used have been ones that have been in the middle of nowhere, you know, beautiful countryside, uh, just, just relaxed, relaxed, enjoying yourself, getting in the vibe, you know, atmosphere, dressing the studio up. Yeah, creating all an atmosphere. Kind of, we, we, we used to love uh, going to these great residential studios where we'd live there for like three to four months. Amazing. Wow. Damn. 
that's uh it's pretty uh you know you, you can definitely get into an atmosphere if you live someplace for four months for sure <laughs> yeah yeah um well that's um with the upcoming tour and uh you know the the, the last year or so of touring I, I imagine you probably haven't even been thinking about new material or writings but have you have you had any song yeah ideas yeah or... we've, yeah no we've um we're in a sort of lower echelons of writing a new album we have yeah we've we're due to be in the studio by the end of the year. So we're on tour pretty much from the 2nd of March through to mid-April, um, mid God, we're lucky, mid-August. Um, and somehow during all that, we've got to uh, to finish writing an album. So uh, it's going to be a busy year. Yeah. It's going to be a busy year. I mean, with the writing, is it something that is uh, sort of a continuous process or is it something that, you know, so I imagine some bands, they well, set... generally we, 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 we set up, we set time aside for it. But this time around, the success of Cryptoriana was, was, was so prolific that, that we've come back to do, you know, pretty much uh, another hundred and whatever shows. So, you know, with that in mind, um yeah with that in mind we've just got to this time do it differently you know right under pressure right out of our comfort zone see what happens do you um enjoy touring because i mean at these at this stage you've been doing it for quite a while you know decades and uh you know these long you know jaunts across the globe i imagine are tiring so is it something you still enjoy yeah absolutely yeah i mean obviously you've got to get the uh Everything's got to be right. And with this America tour, we've got, like I say, new management and everything's been planned to the letter. Um, of course, it is not going to run to the letter, but that's, you know, we're at least um, out of the starting blocks already. Um, we've got a great crew, uh, great booking agents, great management, great bands playing, great fans turning up, great meet and greets planned, great stage show great tour bus you know <laughs> we've, got, we've got things planned and other things got to do we've got great press agents we've got great things happening fun things happening like uh for example i've got to when i go to new york i've got to go and be tattooed for a film a uh, tv program with paul booth and oh wow paul you know little cool, yeah, cool things like that so i've uh, got a few horror things i've got to do as well along the way so yeah of course i enjoy it uh it's chaotic, but you, you know, as long as you can put some order into that chaos, and um, and because uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're out there to 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 address the fans, give them a good time, give them what they want, the music. So you've got to be fit, not drunk, not not tired, you know. And you can only be that if you're focused and everything's in the right place. But you know, what I mean, it's it is a job, but it's also a lifestyle, so you've got to enjoy it. All right. Did um did you select the uh, support on this tour? Or is that something that management and booking put? Well, together? it's about uh, Wednesday Thirteen was a band that we always wanted to support us anyway. But it was quite lucky that both bands were actually on the roster of the Oracle management, so it made perfect sense to have them all under the same wing. It was so much easier to to manage the tour and go between the different bands and say this is happening or this isn't happening, and this is what's happening with the rider, and this is your game. You know what I mean? It was a logistically it was a lot better and i think it works really well the fact that all three bands are very uh dramatic and theatrical 
And I think it's going to, with the state, various stage shows, give the fans a really, really intense night's experience. Well, Danny, thank you very much for your time. Um, you know, good luck. Absolutely, with, my pleasure. Good luck with the upcoming dates. And uh, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see you out there. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks ever so much. Take care. Cheerio. Take care. You've been listening to Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio podcast. We'll be back next week, so be sure to subscribe and never miss out. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio via web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities in the world, exclusive interviews and merch, and so much more.